Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 46 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know already, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all things USC. This week on the podcast, of course, being New Year's Eve, we're talking about the Rose Bowl. The Trojans play on Thursday, New Year's Day, first day of 2009. Big matchup versus Penn State. So it's going to be a great matchup. We're going to talk all about that. In this episode of the podcast, if you have any questions or comments for us on the podcast, always just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. You can always go to uscfootball.com and post in the message boards. We'll try to answer any questions you have there. And of course, in the first segment, we love to talk to the coach. He is the de facto mayor of the city of Pasadena. The Rose Bowl is all about him. Coach Harvey Hyde, how are you doing today, sir? Well, it's all about me, unless it's the Rose Bowl game. <laughs> when it's the Rose Bowl game, it's the granddaddy of all of them, you know, and it can't be all about me because this is the 95th game. Can you believe that? The 95th uh, Rose Bowl game, it all started in 1923, and, and believe me, that's when the name Rose Bowl was attached to it. And guess guess what two teams were playing in the first Rose Bowl game? Oh, I, you know, I should know. USC, Penn State. Wow, very first one. Very first one, and uh, USC beat Penn State 14-3. to And, you know, this is going to be a great one, too, because it is the true Big Ten champion. That's Penn State. Remember, the last two years now, the Big Ten champion has gone to the national championship game. So this is the true Big Ten champion against the true Pac-10 champion, USC, at 11-1. and So 22-2 and between the two of them. And uh, the payout is $18 million to each conference. Game time is at 2.10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Be early tailgate. Enjoy the experience. And don't get all stressed out worrying about the traffic, so leave early. So what do you think of that? I think that's all good stuff, good information. And, Coach, if anyone else needs a ticket, it's not too late. Give Southern California tickets a call. They're nice enough to be our sponsor for the first segment of the Parastyle Podcast, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287. If you're going to the game or you want to go to a concert or something, maybe uh, one of those nice theater things, you know, if, if you're cultured and stuff like that, Coach, which I don't think we are. But if you need stuff like that, just give Southern California tickets a call. You don't need any tickets, right, Coach? No, I don't, but I was down there this morning, and uh, for everyone, there are tickets available, depending when you're listening to this uh, broadcast. Uh, we do this on Wednesday, so uh, I don't believe they'll be open uh, game day because uh, the parade goes right in front of their building on New Year's, so uh, get on over there if you're listening today. They do have tickets available, and also remember when the Rose Bowl game is done, they have tickets available to everything else. You know, you might want to go to the Super Bowl. You might want to go to a national championship game. You know, you can get all those type of tickets through Southern California Ticket Service. It's a great spot. Definitely. Coach, this is a big matchup. I, I really like the point. You haven't heard that a lot, that this is the true champion of both conferences, Penn State. I, I guess the question that People ask me a lot, and I'll pose it on to you. Uh, Pete Carroll's never lost to a Big Ten school. I think it was 10 in a row or something like that by an average of you know three or four touchdowns. 
What makes Penn State different? Why are they not the typical Big Ten team that Pete Carroll kind of eats for lunch, if you, could say, if you could say that? Well, you don't know if he will or he won't, but it's a different type of team because when you look at the team, it's not a bunch of teams of glorified recruits. Uh, the biggest recruit that came out of there the year that uh, that most of these players are playing for Penn State was Brian Cushing, who's playing for USC. And uh, that's what's so unique about this Penn State team. Obviously, they had a lot of all-leaguers. They had a lot of uh, Big Ten player. Of quarterback, Daryl Scott was the Big Ten quarterback player. Uh, you've got offensive linemen. You've got a receiver, Williams. It's a great player. But when you look at them now, you know, they were not all five-star players. I mean, when Daryl Clark was recruited, Chad Henney had just uh, uh, turned down Penn State. And uh, Joe Paterno was watching a film on uh, a tight end and uh, liked the tight end, put the film away. And when Chad Henney did not go to Penn State, went to Michigan, he said, I remember that quarterback that when we were watching that tight end, get that tape back out. And they got it out. He didn't have a lot of big-time scholarships and so on and gave him a scholarship. And, you know, when you look at some of the players, they've been, they've been there. You've got 11 starters in the game that have played four years at, at Penn State. You've got five starters that are five-year players. So these guys have been around each other a long time. And what they do, they do well because they've been taught by great coaches. Galen Hall, the offensive coordinator, former head coach at Florida University and others. I mean, there hadn't been a lot of changes in the staff at Florida or at Penn State. So, you know, the guys know what they're doing. They're very well coached. They have very few penalties. They make very few mistakes. They don't do a lot of fancy things. What they do, they don't try to trick you. They try to hit you. And, and uh, they will be well coached. So it's going against a well coached team of a bunch of guys that have been together for a long time and have a lot to prove against a very skilled, uh, highly recruited, highly publicized team uh, from USC. You know, USC started the season as the number one team in the country. Penn State started the season. I'm not sure where they were ranked. I mean, they beat Coastal somebody their first game of the year and <laughs> Temple. And, you know, they're, they're, they really came alive after they beat Oregon State. And everybody took them somewhat more serious. And uh, as they went along and beat Ohio State at Ohio State and so on, 13-9, then they said, hey, this team could go to Pasadena. And when they really need to beat Michigan State to make it happen, 49 what, 49-18, they beat Michigan State, and now they're in Pasadena. Yeah, no, to be fair, Coach, uh, Derek Williams was a five-star guy. One of the, I think See, it was Derek the, Williams was five-star. Yeah. Now, well, I did I all five-star. No, no, no. But, and that was someone USC was actually after, so that was uh, – that was interesting. Um, that's we're actually, number two, right? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk to. Um, well, okay. No, no, yeah, that's okay. Give him a five star. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna talk to uh, um, one of the Penn State rivals guys later on in the show, and we're also gonna talk to Dan Wilkie. So we're gonna get some more Penn State and stuff info there. And coach, I want to bring this up. You know, you coached before. If someone was playing your team, and the the terms that came up the most were this team is well coached. Obviously, that's a compliment to you discipline, stuff like that. We hear that a lot when we're talking about Penn State. Is that kind of like saying when some someone asks you if, if you're, this girl that you want to set them up with is pretty, they say she's nice, um, which is usually mean you know not so much. Does that mean they're not as talented as, as people would say if, you, if the only thing that people keep talking about them is that they're well-coached and, and well-disciplined? 
No, they're more what it means to me. They're more old school. Okay, uh, you know when you go to a, an event, they're in coat and tie. Uh, when you go to the beef bowl, they're in coat and tie. They're yes sir, no sir, the complete time. Uh, you know they wear their uniform uh, the way it's supposed to be well worn. They ride the bus the way you're supposed to ride a bus. They're more under the glove of Joe Paterno. You see other teams, and there's no one way of doing it, more loosely put together, more fun, more laughing, uh, not dressed up as well, or casually dressed, let's use that term. So, you know, there's a, a lot that goes along with that. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's thrown a lot of players off the team. They got in trouble and so on this year, a couple of starters. So he doesn't put up with any type of nonsense. He comes up the old school way. They look at him as a as a father image, like a grandfather image, a, a guy that half of these players weren't even born when he was coaching it. Still coach here it was when he was the head coach at, at Penn State. So there's a lot of legendary stories about him and so on. So, you know, they play hard for him, and, and he gets every bit of uh, what he can out of each player. Now, when he brought the last team out here to California, and they played – Oregon in the Rose Bowl, and that was a real talented team. Kerry Collins, Kajana Carter, I mean, they went undefeated that year. A lot of people thought they were the number one team in the country. But uh, So, you know, he's had great players, don't get me wrong, And but he's always the Woody Hayes, the Bear Bryant, the uh, Bo Schimbleckler. I mean, they're a different type of guys, okay? I mean, uh, you know, you do it my way or it's the highway type. I hate to say it that way. And in some programs, it isn't just that that same way, okay? No, that makes sense. And I, I think you look, you know, there's two legendary coaches. Obviously, Paterno's been around, you know, longer almost than Pete Carroll's been alive. But, it, you know, if you, if you think that Joe Paterno's this, this old guy, that he's 82, and he just kind of hobbles around and doesn't say anything. I mean, he's funny. Like, he, we were at the media day yesterday. He tries to keep, you know, he can't throw the football around the practice field like Pete Carroll does, but he keeps you entertained. I mean, when, he, when he's talking to the media, he was pretty funny and he was bringing it. So I, I think he's got, you know, he might be an older guy, but he's got some youthful exuberance, I guess you could say. And it probably keeps him closer to the players than you would think an 82-year-old would be able to. And I agree with you. Uh, I don't think he, I think a, a pat on the butt or a hug by him to some of the players uh, really is a big thing to them. And, uh, you know, uh, he might not be able to name or remember every single player on the team, but I wouldn't bet against it. I wouldn't bet against it. But he has been able to put together great staff and be able to give the assignments and responsibilities to the people to get them game planning and so on, and he handles all the public relations and all that part of the program. And, of course, of course he's the closer in recruiting. I mean, he doesn't go to every home for recruiting. There are certain homes that uh, they need to bring him in to get it done. And when he walks in the home and talks to these parents and he says to them, I'll treat this kid as my own son and academics are important, I'm not sure, but someone told me every one of these senior players that are playing for him are going to graduate. Now, I don't know if that's a true fact or not. but uh, And I'm not saying other schools don't do this. Every coach wants their, their student-athletes to graduate. But... You know, I think they, they believe him more because he's not going to be there a year, sign my kid to a scholarship, and then the next year you read about him taking another job. Or his name doesn't come up every 
every year about, well, Penn, uh, Penn State's coach Joe Paterno's up for the New England job or he's up for Oklahoma job. Or, you, know, you know, that sometimes hurts your program when young student-athletes feel that there's a chance my coach that recruits me isn't going to be there. But he's going to be there, I guarantee you. No, I, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, you mentioned Daryl Clark before. Interesting kid. Um, you, you, I was down there watching some of the interviews he was doing at uh, the Rose Bowl Media Day. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an elusive kid. I mean, it's interesting. I didn't know that recruiting story that you told about him. That's really cool stuff. Um, but when you look at him, he's, I don't think he's like the fastest guy in the world. He, they don't do zone reads and stuff exclusively. I mean, they mostly run. Uh, a kind of a traditional offense that use a fullback a lot, but they will do come in and he can come in the shotgun and do some of that, you know, option read kind of stuff. But what, what impressed me about him when I'd watch a couple of the games over again, you know, he could make people miss, but he was really powerful too. I mean, he could hit someone and you got your linebackers have to be disciplined because you can't just try to arm tackle this kid because he will drag people with him going for the first down. Well, you know, I haven't seen him in person as you have out of, out of a uniform. But they say what? What do they say? He weighs two thirty or something? Yeah, he's supposed to be. He's a big kid. I mean, he looked. He looked big. He had glasses on, so I think that he made. He was trying to uh, <laughs> just kind of not be a little bit under the radar there. But yeah, no, he's a big looking kid. Yeah, he's a big kid. So you know, uh, he's a main threat for them in their offense, and and I really feel that he's going to be a part of their offensive game plan. I mean, one hundred percent as a running back and as well as a passer. And I think they're going to try to utilize their top player, which is Williams. As you told me, he's a five-star, which I forgot, and you're exactly right. Uh, they're going to utilize Williams, Butler, and uh, Clark. That's their offense. And they've got hard-nosed offensive linemen who uh, will bite you to hold on to you, you know. The umpire's got to catch them. They'll do whatever it takes to block for these guys. And uh, they're going to spread the field on USC. If I was Penn State, I'd spread the field. Uh, spread out USC's defense. I don't want to run into the strength of them. Have no remaining backs at all, hardly at all, or have one remaining back, put him in motion, or keep him there and run the option. Wouldn't try to run right at him. And I would run Clark. I'd run him out of an, uh, an open set. I'd run draws with him. I'd run all kinds of things with him. I'd try to throw three-step drops real quick, let the ball go. All those type of things to try to equalize the power of USC's defense. Now, I watched them, Coach. Uh, I rewatched the uh, Ohio State game, and that's the best defense statistically that they played. Um, they've scored 40 points, uh, I think, eight times this year, but only once was it against a top, like, 50 type of a defense. That was the Oregon State game. You know, and I'm, you got to give them credit for the Oregon State win, even though that was before Oregon State kind of figured out what they did well and they replaced their entire front seven and all of that. But when I watched that Ohio State game, I mean, Clark at quarterback, they couldn't really move the ball. They had scored three points up until, you know, some point in the second half. And uh, Clark had to be pulled out of the game. And the backup, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he... Uh, Tavin? Uh, De- Devlin. The kid to the De- left? Devlin. And, uh, Devlin, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he ended up transferring, so he's not even there. They scored, the, you know, you said they scored 13 points in that game. Ten of them were scored with a backup quarterback in there. It I just seems to me, and uh, Ted Venegas wrote, wrote about this a little bit too, and uh, we had a Penn State preview. It's up on uscfootball.com right now. This offense struggled against the better defenses, and, uh, you know, obviously USC would have to be in that category. I don't know if you want to comment on that at all. Well, I, I can't comment on it too much uh, because uh, I haven't seen them play 
a lot of games this year. It's, it's amazing that they haven't been on television a lot out here in the West. Seen highlights and so on, so I really haven't seen a complete game to know exactly, you know, what what to expect. But uh, from just gathering information and talking to people and so on and coaches, um, yeah. Well, against that's why I say uh, against USC's defense, which some people are saying are the best best defense ever, and I don't know. I you know, and some people complain when people make that statement. Uh, it could be, and, and the only way you can equalize that is to uh, have big plays, which SC hasn't given up big plays. But you got to keep going for big plays. You got to be able to keep your uh, defense off the field. You got to maintain ball control. So how do you do that? Short passing game and and running game that works because you're spreading the field. With man on man, you're not going to be able to block all those linebackers. Like one of their offensive linemen or their centers made a statement. He says, when we normally play someone, we play someone that has a great linebacker. But when you look at SC on film, they have three linebackers that can run and get the hole. And if you don't take the proper angle to block them, you miss them. So it's a whole new routine in, in learning like your blocking schemes and so on and how to take the proper angles. And also adjusting to these, these blitzes that uh, Pete Carroll brings uh, for each game against what you do. So... It's going to be a very interesting game. It's going to be a very hard game for me to predict the outcome of it when I do it on the pregame show. But uh, by that time, I'm going to be forced to do that because they're going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, Coach, if you look at this game and some of the other teams that USC's played, I mean, everyone talked about even when USC played Ohio State this year. When Ohio State goes out of their conference and plays one of the you know, speed teams, so to say, They've struggled, you know, but Penn State seemed to be able to do pretty well. I mean, they've they've won bowl games against the Florida State team. Obviously, Florida State's not, you know, up to the par where they were before, but they've played some of the speed type of teams, teams from other conferences that are good, that have athletes that are similar to what Penn State has, and they've actually had a pretty good track record winning these bowl games and stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I think maybe that's the reason that a lot of people are saying that this isn't the typical Big Ten team that USC is going to be facing again. Do you remember that team that played in the Fiesta Bowl? You might not have even been born. They uh, played um, Miami of Florida. Uh, Miami, yeah, Miami. Uh, Miami, yeah, Miami of uh, Florida. And uh, they were the number one team in the country. They were going to win the national championship, and Penn State played them and beat them there. I don't know if you remember that or not. That was one of the biggest upsets that year in, in college football. Uh, they have a, a, a way of, of playing great games. I mean, look at look at the games they had this year and the way they approached them, and, and they had to win them, and they did. The Iowa game was their only setback in bad weather and so on. It's amazing. Both teams, Ohio State, after the Ohio State, Iowa beats Penn State. After the Ohio State win, Oregon State beats USC. So both teams beat Ohio State, and the next week, both teams get beaten. Did you know that? Right, that's a very good point, Coach. I didn't even hear that one yet. Yeah. So, well, you hear a lot of new things here. You know, <laughs> I just make these things up, you know what I mean, as they go along. But if you look it up, it's a true fact. So that's the letdown you have after beating Ohio State. You get up for this game, and then you have a letdown, and you come to play. And not that Iowa didn't have a big win, because I was sitting there watching the game and cheering for Iowa. But also for uh, SC, when they went up to Oregon State after beating Ohio State, they got beat too. So it's a letdown feeling after you play a big t- 
team like USC or Ohio State or Penn State or whatever. Ah, no, I like that coach. I'm gonna have to. I'll use that one. I'm gonna do. Uh, no, no, you, I won't allow you to use that. Pat, not. <laughs> I have to do, uh, coach. Maybe you can give me some advice. I'm gonna do my first live uh, TV segment today on NFL Network. I do that college football now show, but I'm always taped. I tape it in the morning, so if I screw up, I mean, I'm, they don't usually let you redo anything, but you at least know if you screw up really badly, they can just do it again. But they're going to have me on live. I'm going to be debating uh, one of the Penn State writers, so it'll be interesting. We're going to have to go back and forth a little bit. It should be fun. It should be real fun. And uh, remember, before you use anything I used, make sure you look it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coach Hines. But you proved me wrong. You proved me wrong on Williams because you're exactly right. And I and I tell you what, that that really gets to me. No, no, Coach. You're you're the best at what you do. I, it, I, and just one quick thing at the end, Coach, before we got to go. Um, yeah. I, I did a radio show yesterday. I think it was in Alabama, and they were asking about the pageantry and stuff. And I just thought of you. I mean, it just seems like to me, this is the most. There's definitely the most important day in in for the city of Pasadena. It seems like the entire calendar of what goes on up there, all the businesses, everything, kind of revolves around this day. You know, you're you're right, you know, and we're almost at the end of it, and I'm totally wiped out, okay? I've been at everything. Uh, in fact, uh, today at the, I'm going to the kickoff luncheon in a few minutes, and I'm the pre-kickoff uh, uh, host. So I have to get over there and do three or four segments for the kickoff luncheon, and tomorrow I've got the pre-game show still to do. Yesterday I was on four hours of radio, three hours of ESPN, and then another hour of my regular show I do back to Las Vegas. And then, of course, after that, they're having the parties at the Tet, the float builders' companies, the parties at the Tournament of Roses, and the president's parties, and the director's dinners, and this and that. So I'm sort of wiped out, you know. It's that time of year, and also everyone's got this cough and this cold that's going around, so you're trying to fight that, and I'm fighting that off, too. So, uh, I went to the Beef Bowl. I don't know if you've ever been to the Beef Bowl, but it was pleasant going there and talking to the coaches and watching the kids have a good time. And the Queen of Court, I don't know if you know this, but let me let me sort of give away my age. Are you ready? I'm okay. going to do it on the air. But I'm sitting there with the one of the princesses, and uh, her father comes over to me and gives me a big hug. And I said, wow, this is something special. And he says, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, Honestly, no. He says, you recruited me. You recruited me out of high school. You recruited me out of high school, Michael Jenkins. He says, my daughter here is a Rose Princess. And I said, oh, my gosh. Can you believe that? <laughs> so wow. it's absolutely amazing. You never know who you're going to run into or who you're going to see and how proud you are of these kids and so on and how they've gone on. And you're able to tell these type of stories. Just like Dwayne Walker now getting a head coaching job in New Mexico State. He played for me at Passing City College, I've been very close to him. Tim Bruce, the head coach of Minnesota, played for me at Passing City College. To see these kids go on, Pat Hill was on my staff at UNLV. To see these people go on, and Ryan, to be able to work with you, and I'll watch you go on someday. You know, it's great to see it, and it's, that's part of what we're in, the business of helping young people uh, use their God-given skills to uh, advance their lives. And uh, it's more than a scholarship or an education. It's common sense you gain and the people you meet and how, and you never get a second chance at a first impression. And uh, I, and it's just a great thing to be during this period of of the year with the holidays and, and the gifts and the parties to see your friends, and then go to the big game and 
it's just great to do all that. And I'm very fortunate this year. I'm going down to the Orange Bowl too, so I've got to work that out with you on how we're going to do that segment. I'm glad you. I thought of that because next Wednesday <laughs> I'll be in Florida. Oh wow! So if you yeah. want to call me down there, I'll get a number for you, and we can do it down there. That might want. be fun. Yeah. Reporting live. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, cool. well, you coach, know, you let me know, but but let's talk about it after the segment, okay? All right, Coach. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's been a great year. Our first year of the podcast is obviously coming to a close, and uh, it's, it's been my honor to have you on, and hopefully everyone out there enjoys your insights, and uh, we will definitely look forward to talking to you more next year. We'll, we'll talk about the Rose Bowl in our next segment. All right, buddy, and uh, let's again thank our sponsor, Southern California Ticket Service. Give them a call. Their local number is 626-577-2557, and you've got the toll-free number. Yeah, and sctickets.com is right online, so it's all good. So anyway, Coach, thank you very much, and we will talk to you again Happy next New week. Year, buddy. Happy New Year to you. Enjoy the Rose Bowl. Everyone else will be right back after this short break talking more about USC and Penn State. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to our second segment of the Parastyle Podcast, and we have a very special guest. In this segment, we have Nate Bauer. He's the web editor for Blue White Illustrated, part of the Rivals.com network. He was nice enough to come on the podcast today. He's in town in L.A. covering the Rose Bowl. Nate, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Hey, anytime, anytime. I'll, I'll try to come on. Uh, hopefully we can get you on. I'll be on uh, Blue White Illustrated today, BWI today, and I can uh, answer some questions for the Penn State fans. But first up, uh, you were actually down downtown today for the – there was a kind of a mini press conference. Yesterday was a big media day. What did uh, Joe Pa and, uh, and Pete Carroll talk about today at the media, at the media conference? Um, I think the, uh, you know, probably the biggest news of the day, if you want to call it news, is that Joe is, uh, is will not be uh, coaching from the sidelines tomorrow. He will be up in the press box. Um, you know, <laughs> for whatever reason, um, that, that seems to fascinate the media, and, uh, and it's really become sort of a dominant storyline. It really dominated the, uh, the press conference today. Obviously, Pete, um, you know, was very complimentary of Penn State, sort of, uh, you know, just your typical... Uh, the typical niceties um, being exchanged between the two coaches. But uh, one funny moment was uh, Coach Carroll uh, sort of compared uh, Paterno. He said he was a living uh, Benjamin Button, who, um, <laughs> you know, obviously if, uh, anybody who's, uh, you know, seen the movie or or uh, seen some of the previews for, for the new uh, 
the new Benjamin Button film. Um, it's the you know the guy who sort of ages backwards, and uh, and you know Paterno, when asked about it later in the uh, press conference, had absolutely no idea um, <laughs> what 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 Carol was referring to. It was sort of a funny moment. He said that in the past forty years, uh, Paterno said that he's seen two films being Titanic and E.T. Um, and he, uh, you know, it sort of got a big, a big roar out of, uh, out of the media guys. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty much it. I mean, I think, I think basically, uh, for, for Paterno's end, um, you know, a lot of the questions, um, beyond, uh, you know, him being on the, on the sideline or up in the press box were geared toward Penn State being an underdog in the team. Um, you know, and, and Paterno was pretty, pretty open and, uh, and, uh, and upfront about saying that, you know, he saw, yeah, of course, Penn State's an underdog in this, in this game. Um, he thinks that his players think that they're underdogs, but at the same time, they, they sort of want to approach this game where, you know, it, it might be in the back of their heads that they're underdogs, but at the same time, they don't want to, to go out there and approach this as though they're just trying to save face, get embarrassed. You know, they want to, they want to play this game to win it, obviously. Um, and and he's hoping that that his players have that same mentality. Oh, that's interesting stuff. Uh, two two movies in forty years. If you're gonna pick two, I guess those yeah. are two two pretty good ones. Um, the sideline thing. I think some people were talking on the message boards in a little bit. A lot of people thought that maybe he would be down there on the sideline because it looked like he was getting around okay, and it would be kind of like a last minute like you know boost for the team. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you know maybe it works out well. He's up in the press box. If you saw what Charlie Weiss did, they they just destroyed Hawaii. So maybe the uh, that'll be the that'll be the new rage. The coaches being in the press box. Yeah, it's uh you know, it's worked out for Turner so far this year. I mean, he he explained how it works. Um I mean, and, and for all of us who who are on the Penn State beat, um you know, we've been through this song and dance pretty much all year. Um you know, where he he has, you know, obviously with technology, it's um a lot different than, you know, 50 years ago when he was coaching um he he has access to all of his coaches on the sidelines through the head you know the, the headsets and he can get a hold of anybody he wants and in fact i mean i think he i think he sort of understands that it might be a little bit of an, an advantage to uh to be up there if only because you know he can see the game better he can he can really see what uh what's happening out there on the field a lot better than he can on the sidelines um, you know, for anybody who's been on the sideline during a game, it's <laughs> pretty much the worst, the worst vantage point you can have to uh, to watch the game. Of course, at the same time, he uh, he also uh, you know it, it, it bothers him that that he can't be out there with his team. He you know he's he's very much a uh, a figurehead um, during a game in that you know he he for years I mean he's always been the guy that you know pats a kid on the butt when he's coming off the field or you know knocks him around a little bit. Uh, Depending on whether a kid's you know high or low, um, you know based on play. But yeah, he's he's. Uh, I think I think it's uh, you know he was pretty adamant that that he would indeed be up in the box. Um, you know the the only the only real window he left open was that he might be able to lead his team out onto the field. He he definitely looks you know um, miles better than he did earlier this season. I mean he he was really, really struggling to uh, to move around, to, you know, get up out of chairs, that kind of thing. So he, uh, you know, at this point, he's walking without a cane. Um, he looks 10 times better than he did at the beginning of the season, but he'll be, uh, he'll be up in the box tomorrow. All right. We're with Nate Bauer, the web editor for BWI on the Rivals.com network. He covers Penn State football. Nice enough to join us on the podcast today. He's in Los Angeles, down there downtown. Uh, 
just had a couple of questions. I asked people on our message board maybe to email a couple of questions. I only did this about an hour ago, so we didn't have too much time to get some. But I got a few that came in. Uh, a poster, Rovin, wanted to know what what the perceived weakness uh, of USC is, uh, the perceived biggest weakness, and how do you think Penn State will be able to exploit that? Wow. Um, Big one. Bam. Yeah, not, <laughs> yeah I, you know, I really don't think, um, you know, I, as far as um, perceptions and, and respect and that kind of thing is concerned, um, I mean, Penn State fans and, and, I mean, obviously the team and the coaches, um, you know, pretty much everyone is in, a, in, a, in agreement that, that USC is just a phenomenal football team. Um, you know, defensively, obviously the stats speak for themselves. Um, you know, the players speak for themselves. I mean, it's just, just the names um, and, and the accomplishments that, that those guys have had. Um, you know, it's it's just been it's just been a tremendous season for USC. Um, you know, outside of that that hiccup um, against Oregon State, um, you know, it, it, weaknesses. I I honestly I honestly can't can't give you a straight answer by saying that that anybody really perceives USC to have um, any any real big weaknesses. Um, you know, uh, quarterback, offensively, the running backs. Um, you know, the offensive line. Uh, the wideouts. I mean, it's it's all there, um, top to bottom. So I think Penn State fans and uh, and the team are expecting, you know, probably um, legitimately the biggest test um, and the best team that they they have faced in, you know, uh, you know, maybe years at least. Um, you know, certainly this year and and certainly the past few years. Yeah, I think a lot of SC fans are expecting the best team that you that anyone has played on on their schedule this year. That USC's played on their schedule. Uh, facing Penn State, uh, Harvey Hyde uh, have on. Um, he's one of the, he used to coach at UNLV and other places, and he's always on the podcast with me in the first segment. He brought something up too. the uh, The Iowa loss that was the week after Ohio State. Is am I correct in that? There was actually a bye week in between the two games. Okay, um, but the, the but, but yes, it it was it was the next game. After okay, Ohio State. It was actually very similar then to what USC did. USC played had a, a kind of a bye week, a week and a half, because it was a Thursday game. They played Ohio State. You know, it was a big win, emotional win, and then they had the letdown against Oregon State. So I thought that was an interesting point I hadn't heard brought up before, those kind of letdown games. But um, I had another question. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, just another well, question from gonna, Rick Manning. I was just going to explain. I mean, I, I think the Iowa game, um, you know, it, it, it was a letdown, um, you know, and, and just for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I like that point. Um, you know, just it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong um, towards the end of that game for Penn State, you know, did. Um, and I think it was sort of, you know, you know, USC sort of found themselves in the same situation, um, where just you know turnovers, just things didn't just things just didn't go right, and it wasn't the team, um, you know, that that everyone had seen for the, the previous uh, nine games up until that point, and you know, obviously for USC. Uh, the team that everybody saw after um, that loss to uh, Oregon State. So, yeah, I mean, I think the similarities are definitely there. All right. And uh, next question came from Rick Manning. Uh, he sent the email on this. He wanted to know uh, kind of what the keys would be I mean, to stopping the USC offense. You know, the Penn State defense has you know, had a tremendous, tremendous year. And if you wanted to point to some kind of weaknesses on USC, they haven't scored as many points that a lot of people – have expected with some of the talent that they have on offense. What what do you think that the uh, the Penn State defense is going to have to do if they have to do anything differently? I know they're 
you know, they kind of run a four three, and they usually play pretty straight up. Not a lot of blitzing and stuff. Do you think they'll have to do anything different, or, or just execute better to to stop this USC offense? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Penn State's key on defense um, has really been, you know, just playing sound sort of fundamental defense. They they've been, um, you know, I, I wouldn't call them extremely opportunistic, but. They uh, they do you know sack the quarterback a lot. They you know they they got a kid in Aaron Maven who was just um, really phenomenal at, at at getting to the quarterback. Twelve um, twelve sacks this year, um, you know. So so they they've been able to put put pressure on quarterbacks. They've been able to force some turnovers with interceptions and fumbles and that sort of thing. Um, you know I I think I think a lot of this game is going to come down to um, you know the running game straight up if if. You know, if some team can can sort of establish the run and and then open up the pass um, and and really create a balanced offense, um, you know that that team will be the most successful. Penn State's really going to have their hands full um, with those three tailbacks, um, and and I think a lot of that is going to come down to um, you know the the well basically the linebackers on the Penn State who to this point in the season have, have played fairly well, but um, you know it, it's been a it's been sort of a storyline all season. But Penn State lost um, basically an All-American in uh, in Sean Lee, and you know I, before the season even began, he uh, he was he was lost to an ACL injury in spring practice last year, and he hasn't played it down this year. Um, to, to fill in for him, Penn State has been using a kid named Josh Hall, who um, you know uh, you got to give the kid credit. I mean, he's a, he's a walk-on um, or a formal walk-on. He finally got a, uh, a scholarship this year, but um, you know to, to that end, I mean, this is a walk-on's a walk-on, you know, and uh, and he's been extremely serviceable this year, but at the same time, um, against the caliber athlete that, that USC brings to the table, um, you know, he, he's really going to have his hands full. Yeah, I do like the fact that both offenses are balanced. You know, there, there's a lot, you know, you look at the Penn State offense, Clark's so efficient, you know, throwing the football, you know, you know really high efficiency rate. He's able to take off and run sometimes. They They run the ball really well. And I think the same thing with USC and not as mobile of a quarterback, but they do have that balance on offense. I think that's what makes well, it will be an interesting challenge, both sides, because you have two great defenses, but these aren't these aren't offenses that are one dimensional. They're going to have to play everything. They have to play run. They're going to have to play pass. So I think that's what's going to make this interesting. Just watching how those defenses match up against balanced offenses. Right, right. Um, I mean, uh, across the board, uh, you know, the, the numbers are pretty similar for for both of these teams as far as. You know, um, rushing leaders, total, total rushing yards, total passing yards, total receiving yards. Um, you know, they they are very similar teams, and and you know, both, both on both ends, um, the success this year has has been from from the offenses being balanced, and in turn keeping defenses uh, keeping defenses off balance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I definitely think whichever team can sort of maintain its identity, um, you know, will, will obviously have the most success. There's uh, one other question that came in. I don't know if you cover recruiting at all. Do you, do you, do you follow that too much? Sure, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, That's <laughs> our job, as, right? as much as I can. We, yeah. we, we have another guy who, uh, who is, is much better at it, but I sort of, uh, I sort of dabble in it. <laughs> well, there's a, there was a couple of high-profile battles. I mean, Brian Cushing talked about getting in home visit from Joe Pa. He's from New Jersey, came out here. Derek Williams, superstar. He's got those, all those, like, 4,000 all-purpose yards for Penn State. USC was big into him, and... He ended up coming to Penn State and, and really helping out that program. There's a couple guys that um, Penn State was also after. Vidal Hazleton, uh, wide receiver, mm-hmm. and Broderick Green, who's out of running back out of uh, Arkansas. 
both of those guys came to USC. They came across the country, and they're not. They transferred out this year. They're not there anymore. And uh, so the the question they wanted to ask if you could comment on kind of that recruiting and you know what do you think about that when team when a guy comes all the way across country and then it doesn't work out for him. Yeah, um, you know, I think I think for a lot of recruiting fans, um, you know, Penn, Penn State people, um, you know, I, I really don't think that that there would be many Penn State fans who would even try to put Penn State in the same, you know, sort of echelon uh, that, that USC is in. I mean, USC is just a powerhouse program. Um, they bring in top-notch kids every year. Um, you know, so, so when, a, when a Penn State fan sees a kid like uh, Hazleton choose USC or, or even Broderick Green, when, when Penn State very much has, you know, these these open spots. Um, you know, when when Green committed, um, there you know, Royster had not made a splash yet, um, and and you know, pretty much everyone's wondering. Listen, Broderick, you can come right in and and basically be a four-year starter or a three-year starter. Uh, you know, why on earth would would you go to USC where you know you're going to have to sort of battle and and you know your odds are, are limited at best when you've got two of the other top five running backs in the country um, committing in the same class. Um, a lot of times it just, it just doesn't really make sense um, from the outside for, for some of these recruiting fans. You know, but at the same time, you, you, you understand what these kids are attracted to. Um, you know, <laughs> this is my first time in L.A., but you know, obviously it's gorgeous out here. The weather's great. USC, the, you know, the football program is just... Uh, it's it's really in a class of its own, um, you know, uh, across college football, and, and I mean that. And I think I think a lot of other uh, I, I think a lot of other Penn State fans would agree um, with that sentiment that, that USC has just been sort of the standard um, that that a lot of other programs are compared to across this country. And, and Penn State is you know Penn State fans and, and Penn State itself, the program, you know, USC is what you strive to be like, uh, you know, ultimately as far as the success on the field. Um, is concerned, so and and especially success in recruiting um, as well. So, you know, I think uh, I think the interesting thing has, with, with those two cases with with uh, Broderick and Vidal has been, you know, Penn State fans are are still almost clamoring, uh, you know, for those guys to to make their transfers to, to Penn State. Obviously, they're not happening, um, but at the same time, the uh, the the sort of open wound is uh, is is still there. I think in both of those cases. Coaching, on the other hand, not not so much. I mean, obviously, everybody um, understands how spectacular a football player he is, but um, but I think the, the the Green and the Hazleton incidents um, are so recent, and and Penn State really thought that they were in it um, until the, the very end with both of those guys. But the way that, that those worked out, um, you know, everybody's still sort of scratching their heads. Yeah, cool. That's interesting insight. Thank you very much for uh, doing that. And you did pick a perfect day. Yesterday was absolutely gorgeous. So I'm glad you arrived yesterday, I believe, and uh, you could have picked a better day to come to LA. It was awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, this is uh, spectacular. <laughs> yesterday in, in State College, Pennsylvania, where where Penn State is, um, you know, it, it was I think about 25 degrees. The wind was swirling and howling. Um, it was completely miserable. I hop on a plane. Um, I, I go six hours, and all of a sudden, I'm in basically the nicest place on earth. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's working out pretty well. <laughs> All right. Well, he is Nate Bauer. He is the web editor for BWI, bluewhiteillustrated.com, part of the Rivals.com network, covering Penn State. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, enjoy the game on uh, Thursday. Hey, thanks a lot. I'll see you there. All right, everyone else, stay tuned. We'll have a quick break. We're going to come back with Dan Wykey, the USCFootball.com beat writer. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our third and final segment of the last podcast of the year. And we have Dan Wykey of uscfootball.com. Dan, what's up, buddy? I'm just uh, excited about 2009 and uh, everything that's uh, going to happen on New Year's Day right now. All right. Well, speaking of New Year's Day, obviously the Rose Bowl coming up. Maybe the biggest story now Coming out of the USC camp is the academic ineligibility of fullback Stanley Havili. What did Pete Carroll say about it, and what do you think is going on there? Um, I think they, they tried to clear it up a little bit at uh, a morning press conference today, where um, Carroll said that there's a new way where credits are kind of where they find out who's done what um, with grades, a new distribution system, or something like that. And they found out that Havili um, did not have enough units um, to play in this game, so. That's why, excuse me, that he'll be out um, on Thursday, but he should be back for spring ball right now. That's kind of the, the thought process that, um, you know, he's just ineligible essentially until the start of next semester at this point. Now, um, him being a big part of this USC offense, uh, what is that going to do? What's going to do the USC offense? Well, you know, they look at Havili, obviously, he's like one, such a versatile offensive guy. I mean, he can, he can block, he can catch passes. He can, you know, he can run the ball if they wanted to. They could do all these different things with him. Um, instead of trying to find somebody who could do all those things, um, what uh, Steve Sarkeesian and, and Carroll decided to do was they're going to just use three different people to do, to do those things. They're going to use Adam Goodman. Um, they're going to use DJ Shumay, and they're going to use Red Allison. And Sark hinted that there might be some other mystery kind of fullback candidates, but I, I, don't even, I wouldn't even know where to begin guessing on, on who they could run back there. But, um, but, you know, I think you look at Shumate as, as obviously as, um, as a receiver. Red Ellison um, can block. Adam Goodman can do everything he's been, you know, in the program and, and, and understands um, the role, I guess, probably better than either of those other two guys who are both converts to the position. So I think that's probably what they're going to do. Um, the other thing they're going to do is because they, had, they weren't preparing necessarily to play with Havili in the first place because he'd been injured. So – I'm not a. I, I don't really think that that was probably a big part of their game plan. It wasn't like you know they had saw something on film where oh wow, Penn State can't stop Zavili, can't stop our fullbacks, so we're going to load up on fullback plays. Um, because of Zavili's injuries, they weren't even 100 percent sure he'd be even able to go. Period, whether he's eligible or not. So I think they kind of probably scaled back a little bit on, on the responsibility of the fullback in this game plan. Now I think a lot of people complain about this USC offense. A lot of the USC fans, uh, they don't really like when people come in, substitutions are made, and they're like, oh, look, this guy's coming in. That means it's a run. or this come, you know." So to, to do something like that, I don't think that's going to make a lot of the USC fans happy if they see 
you know, a DJ Shoemaker coming in. Oh, here comes the swing pass, or they, you know, whatever stuff like that. Yeah. They, you know, it's like it's a run well, because good, Ellison's in. Yeah, the good thing about that is that all do have hints of versatility. I mean, Shoemaker has been working at fullback for a long time um, this season, and it's really impressive. Coaches. I mean, they really, I think, I think he's a guy who'll probably stay at that position, and he'll be a guy who they can that they'll probably use. Um, he can block some, you know, he's got a running back pedigree and a wide receiver pedigree. So he's like, he can be the runner catch. Um, they, he's just probably not a hundred percent ready. I don't think for, you know, a Havili kind of proportioned game plan where, you know, you're doing all these different things. And then you look at Red Ellison, who's a side who can block and he can catch some passes too and, and stuff like that. I just think that what they did is playing to those guys' strengths and probably want to put them in position to succeed. Um, I just, like I mean, you make a good point. I just hope that they don't do it to, and and that kind of that kind of way where they're like, okay, DJ Schumann's in, we're passing to him, or we're throwing the ball for sure, you know? Right. Like But but like I said, I really, I don't know. I I have a hard time believing that any of those three guys are going to play a ton anyway. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I really they can mix they can mix it up, and uh, you know, obviously they don't having Havili in there is a big weapon, but it's hard to it's going to be hard to replace, and we'll have to see what they do. Uh, this. Yeah, he's but he's really one of a you know he's one of ten guys on offense. I mean, you know, like I, I personally, I think it would have been a bigger a loss had Damian Williams not come back. And that would have forced them down further on the wide receiver chart. I think that having Damian Williams' play um, versus a guy like Kozilla, I think, is more important. Yeah, but you you have this uh, known affinity for all the USC receivers for some reason. So you, well, like, we um... were talking about this yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. It, it's um, it's something where I, I've I've always kind of liked receivers. I don't know. They're like selfish, but they're fun. Selfish, a little goofy usually. I don't know. Good times. All right, good times. All right. Well, the uh, now we know it's well documented that you've been trying to switch the USC offense from the traditional form to the kind of spread it hasn't worked out. So I'm sure you'll keep badgering Pete Carroll during his press conferences to switch to the spread. I've, I've, I've changed actually on this. I want them now to run um, the wishbone. The w- <laughs> I've come back. I've come around on this or the spread bone. The spread bone. As you so eloquently put it a couple of weeks ago. Okay. No, I know. I'm okay. Anyway, I could get to your so question. Penn State runs what they call uh, spread HD. Uh, but if you look at it, they don't really do all that much spread. I don't know if you talked to Joe Paterno yesterday or if you're trying to get him to – I know he's an old guy, but you try to switch his ways a little bit, get him to run a little bit more spread. Uh, did that work out when you're trying to talk to him about it? I, You know, I sat down with him, and, and I pitched the ideas for the spread coast offense, and he, called, he looked at me like I was stupid. Yeah. So um, it, it didn't go out. Um, no, you know, I mean – no, honestly, I, I, what I, I like what Penn State does offensively. I like that. I feel like that they have a, a really well-rounded offensive game plan. I mean, they do a lot of different things. I think I'm really curious to see how much they use Derek Williams at quarterback out of that kind of wildcat formation because he's a guy who can throw the ball too, um, kind of McFadden-ish in that in that way where you know he's not um, just because he's back there doesn't 100 percent mean they're going to run which I think is going to cause some problems for the USC defense. I mean, they're going to have to, they're going to have to account for that and they're not going to be able to, they're going to see him. I was talking to Taylor Mays about this yesterday, actually for a story that I'm going to be writing later today. And, you know, Taylor said that just because Derek Williams is there, it's not like they can load up the box with like nine guys. You know, they, they, that doesn't mean eight guys in the box for sure, because, you know, they have to respect the fact that he can throw. And I mean, that's something that, I mean, Derek Williams, is, you know, he said to me yesterday that, he, you know, he's played quarterback all his life. When he was being recruited, I mean, he was a guy who was at the top 
Uh, he was recruited as an athlete. Nobody really knew exactly what to do with him because he could do so much of everything, you know? Definitely. And it's a guy that USC was, was after. And sometimes, I mean, it, it wasn't like USC shunned him, but if, if it was something like USC stopped recruiting him, obviously he might have a little bit more up in a step when he goes, gets on the field against USC. But just the fact that Pete Carroll was there recruiting him, I, I mean, that might give him a little bit more motivation this game. I, yeah, I mean, you always want to you always want to show people that you know that you proved them wrong. Um, like that's why that's my motivation for doing each of these podcasts. Really, is is is, is to prove you wrong for all the negative, disparaging remarks that I hear over the course of the day from you. Yes, I, if I just gave you like one tenth of all the negative emails I get sent about you every day, I just I know you'd probably <laughs> curl up in a ball and cry. So I, I try to I try to protect you. You'd have to put me on suicide watch or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, have all, I'd have to cut all my meals with plastic with utensils. Yeah. It'd be terrible. Now, we were down at the media day yesterday, and uh, we got to talk to a lot of some you know national guys. I mean, guys that cover the Pac-10, like Ted Miller for ESPN, but we've talked, you know, like Stuart Mandel and a whole bunch of different national guys that are in town. What's the kind of perception there you've got from talking to some of these guys? I mean, everybody likes USC. I mean, to win to win this game, I think there's um, there's still some uh, curiosity as to how competitive Penn State can be in this game. Um, I think that I, I personally think it'll be competitive. Um, I, I like we've said for the last few weeks, I really like Penn State. I, I think they're a very good team. Um, and that's one kind of the overwhelming feeling is that still, you know, it's this USC defense is just so good. And people, you know, I mean, and then you compound that with the fact that you've given Pete Carroll a month to get ready for this game, you know, give or take. And those are two really good factors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not only are they prepared, but they're talented. And so, I mean, you look at that and you look at, you know, Pete's track record in those situations has been, you know, astounding. Um, they've, they've always shown up to play in bowl games. Um, they'll show up to play in this one. You know, I'm not, I think that they've the, they've answered the biggest question for me. You know, and this apparently was a question I was asked of them a lot last year was how how motivated can they be for this game when they maybe feel like you know they 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 dropped the ball and didn't live up to their potential or what everybody expected of them to to be in the national title game, and you know are they bored with being at the Rose Bowl and stuff like that? And, and I don't get that sense at all. I think that. You know, I think they're excited about this game. I think they're excited about this challenge, and I think that they're they know that Penn State's a very capable football team, and, and I don't think they're taking them lightly at all. They're, and to them, they're just they're. It's not like they're just it's another ritual beating of a Big Ten team. I, I I don't get that vibe from them at all. Yeah, I mean, it's hard though. I've been asked this on radio interviews, and I don't see it. I haven't seen it on the practice field. You haven't seen it from the comments that the guys made, but. You know, we did the same kind of thing after the Ohio State game, saying, hey, is there going to be some kind of letdown against Oregon State? And, you know, to them, it didn't look like practices were any worse, or, you know, they seemed like they were motivated in practice. They said the right things, and obviously they didn't come out to play in that game. Yeah, it was, you know, plus I think there's something to be said, too, about but that game me down the road. I remember being there and, and having a, a really weird feeling um, right when USC got stopped the first time they went three and out. And, and I remember thinking that, you know, that momentum in that game, at least initially, was so heavily in favor of Oregon State. I mean, the crowd was behind them. I mean, it was, it was they, you know, USC was uphill that whole game. You know, they, they really were. They were never in control of that game, you know, not from the minute they walked out on the field. And I 
have a hard time thinking that at the Rose Bowl it'll be like that. You know, I would I would imagine it's a pro USC crowd. Um, you would hope. I mean, it's in SC's backyard. There are going to be a lot of Penn State fans there, and I, I do think that SC needs to get out to a good start. But I think I think it's a little different um, in, in that sense. You know, plus I mean, again, at that point in time, who thought Oregon State was any good? You know, nobody really knew that, that this was going to be a very good football team. You know. Um, P. Carroll and the players can talk all they want about how, you know, every game's the same and stuff like that. But I mean, these players aren't stupid. I mean, they, they know who's, they, they know what people are saying about other teams and stuff like that. And I think they know that people think Penn State's a good team. I mean, nobody, I, I've, I haven't heard anybody really say that Penn State's not any good yet. I, I mean, have you, has anybody brought that up that this is just going to be another one of those downs? I, I haven't really heard much I of mean, that. I mean, it's come up sometimes, but the, the problem that I had, and I asked Coach Hyde about this, is a lot of times people say, oh, they're very well coached, they're very disciplined, and I mentioned to him, does that mean they don't have talent? I think they've got tons of talent. But just when you I mean, say that, when that's the first thing when that's the first thing someone says about you, and they're not saying yeah. that they're very talented, they're saying, well, they're well coached, they're disciplined, stuff like that. I mean, usually you come out with like, yeah, they got talent all over the place. No, I mean, that's not what you're saying about this Penn State team. I think that's where the kind of question is. And that that and and we gotta wrap this up real quick, unfortunately, but the fact that they haven't done as well offensively when they've played good defenses. They really struggle. In the Ohio State game, they scored ten of their thirteen points with the backup quarterback who's no longer on the team. And that <laughs> that doesn't bode well for going against the USC defense. I mean, would a blowout surprise me? No, I wouldn't. I mean I, I I've at this point but I, I don't know what, what would surprise me. I, I think the only thing that would surprise me is if Penn State ran over USC and, and rolled them. I really think that that's the only outcome that is truly surprising in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State won a close game. I wouldn't be surprised if USC won a close game. And I wouldn't be surprised if USC absolutely destroyed them either. But, I, I, you know, I think the one last thing that I want to say, too, is that this is a Penn State team that has, has made a, a kind of a, a really rem- remarkable turnaround from where they where that program was at four years ago. I mean, when, when they were really struggling, people weren't sure if Paterno should keep his job, if he should step down. And this recruiting class, the, their seniors right now, guys like Derek Williams and, the, you know, the, their older guys, they're the guys who really kind of rejuvenated that program and, and really kind of gave it maybe a second or third wind. Uh, I don't know. How many wins do you get when you've been coaching for 70 years? <laughs> I, I mean, nine neither, lives but like, he, he, yeah, he's, they really, they really kind of rejuvenated everything. And I think, you know, they they take that very they, they take a lot of pride in that I got that sense that that that's important to them that they that they're the guys that helped kind of turn this around for for that university football wise and, and it's going to be important for them to show up and like I said I think probably the most logical pick in this game is to say USC in a close game. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point to end on. Uh, Derek Williams was someone that USC wanted badly. People were kind of shocked that he actually went to Penn State. <laughs> And, uh, you know, him and the rest of that class helped turn this team around. And I think that gives them even more motivation than normal because, hey, this proves they can beat USC. That proves we went to the right school. We came here. We changed this, the perception of the program. Uh, Joe Paz sticking around longer. We turned this team into a winner again. Yeah, and it would, it, would, it would honestly prove them and put them in the conversation as being a team that was one of the best in the country this year. Excellent. All right, Dan. Well, enjoy your first Rose Bowl game on Thursday, and we'll be back to talk to you next week. Get on the analysis on whatever happened in that Rose Bowl game. Can't wait to talk about it. Excellent. Everyone else, thank you very much for listening this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We will be back as advertised next week. 
talking all about breaking down what happened in the Rose Bowl. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.